Last week, I told you about something that actually kind of came on my radar screen just a couple of weeks ago that has just been going on and on and on in my mind, and it was called the Helper's High. If you weren't here last week, what I just briefly mentioned is the Helper's High is actually kind of the scientific term that started probably in the 1980s when they began to discover uh, what happened and what triggered actually in our brains when we help somebody. Whether it be helping like a senior adult with his groceries, whether it be giving money to charity, whether it be, you know, uh, helping somebody else out, or whether it be greeting somebody in the parking lot, helpers high is the idea that when you and I do something outside of ourselves to help somebody else, the brain triggers things like the endorphins and the serotonin and the dopamine. It starts to kind of pour out. All those chemicals about pleasure begin to pour out into us. It's interesting because it's, it seems like now wherever I'm reading, I'm seeing where Jesus actually hints, hints, maybe not at the helper's high, but just hints at the fact that when we do that, we ourselves are blessed. We usually think that, hey, we're blessing somebody else, and we are, but how many times those of you that have done ministry said, you know what, after that hospital visit or after I helped with that grieving process or whatever I did, you know what, I got blessed more than they did. That helped me more than it helped them. And so that's why Jesus comes on the scene and he says, listen, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. All right? You have a built-in blessing when, guess what? When you and I help somebody else out. And so what we're gonna see uh, today is, is that part of the DNA that God made you in the image of God is for you to make a contribution, not just to be a consumer. And it goes across all generations. It's not just for life. It's not just for the older people. And sometimes people look at this next generation and go, you know what? They don't want to, they don't want to help people. And that's just, that's just not accurate. It's not. Surveys that I've shown teenagers, they've got the normal stuff that all of us wanted. When they're looking ahead, what do I want for my future? They'll say things like, you know what? I want good friendships and, you know, I want to get, have a stable marriage, all those kind of things. But 96% of them list, you know what? I want to make a difference in this world. 96% of them. I want to make a difference in somebody else's life. And so when we look at this, John 13 actually shows us by example and, and by admonition. You know what? A part of being made in the image of God is that he wants us to make a difference in our family, in our school, in our community, at your work, all of those places. And then those of you that have embraced Christ by faith, he gave you a new heart, gave you a new family, gave you new desires, a new life. And you know what? Helping other people is an enormous part of your discipleship journey. You just serving people, it is a huge part of how God actually grows you up. And so John 13 is the start of a few chapters. Usually John 13 to John 17 is called, the up, theologians call it the upper room discourse. And all that means is it was done in an upper room and it was some intense teaching. So from chapter 13 all the way through chapter 17, Jesus is like in his final locker room talk with his disciples. The point we're going to look at today, in 24 hours, Jesus is going to be dead. And so he understands there's a lot of stuff up ahead of him. He's got the trial, he's got the garden, he's got the flogging, he's got the crucifixion. That's what's up ahead of him. And so what happens is he brings his guys together. Those 12 guys, they're going to change the world. And he gives them that final talk. This is what we got to talk about. And he does that from chapter 13 all the way to chapter 17. And if you were to think about it, Jesus knowing all of that stuff, which you'll see in the very first verse, what do you think he would do? I mean, what do you think he would do? It's like, man, he's going to perform an awesome miracle. He's going to lay out an amazing strategic plan. But actually what he does is he shows by example and exhortation, though, that we actually make a difference. 
And so I'm going to walk through this passage, and some of you guys that are note-takers, you're going to love today, because uh, if you're not a note-taker, you know, sometimes Sundays drive you crazy, because there might not be any outline at all. Narratives are hard to outline. But in this case, what I did is just read through the passage, read through the passage, read through the passage. And what you see is over and over again, there's certain attitudes that come out, certain attitudes of people who actually make a difference, people who actually help people that continue to come out. And so let me read the first couple verses and I'll give you one, some more verses, give you one. And then we actually get to use our phones today in church and be blessed because you did. So verse one says this, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Okay, stop there. Characteristic, attitude number one of people who make a difference, of people who actually help other people, is they actually just think about others. They think about others. They think about others more than themselves. Now let me show you how this works. The very first part of this passage says that he knew his hour had come. Throughout the Gospels, what we've seen is that oftentimes when people would come and try to make him king, he would either, you know, ghost on them or he would say, hey, stop that, don't tell anybody, and it would be followed up by he knew his hour had not yet come. And now he's like, this is the reason I came. I came and I'm going to die as a substitute as the Passover lamb on a tree tomorrow for the sin debt of the world. So my hour, the reason that I came has actually come. And so when you look at a passage like this, you're like, listen, he's got all that stuff that's coming up in the next 24 hours. Again, he's got the garden and thinking about, man, if there's any other way, let it pass from me. He's got the betrayal. You know what? Judas is going to come and give him a kiss. That's not what a kiss is for. Then he's got the trial and the floggings and the crucifixion. All that stuff is coming up. Now, let me ask the question. If you knew that you had 24 hours to live, what would you do? Now, normally when we ask that question and when somebody gets asked that question, they come out with what? Their bucket list. Man, I'm gonna go to France. You know, I'm gonna learn how to speak Spanish, something like that. I'm gonna learn something. I mean, some of y'all are like, you know what? I'm gonna go skydive and I'm gonna go Rocky Mountain climb and I'm gonna go 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. Whatever it is that you're like, that's what I'm gonna do. You could have actually, you could have, it would have been easy to say, you know what? If Jesus had come on there and said, you know what? I've only got a few hours left. I gotta stay focused. I mean, man, I've spent three and a half years on y'all already. If you don't know the lessons by now, I don't know what I can teach you. I gotta focus on me for just a little bit. I gotta focus on my deal. My schedule is full. I am overcommitted. Do you know what I've got going on the next 24 hours? But the Bible says he loved them till the end. Now, how did he love them? You and I are gonna see in verse three what he actually starts to do and show them. But right off the bat, you know, this goes against, this goes against both by nature and by nurture the way that we tend to drift. And the way we tend to drift, I know the whole term nowadays is narcissism. Narcissism, it's actually not even a new term. It's actually from Greek mythology. It's Narcissus, you know, he's a, he's a great looking guy and he looks in the water and he sees his reflection and he's so enamored with it, he can never pull himself away from it and he ends up starving, he ends up starving to death because he can't pull himself away from actually looking at his own reflection in the mirror. And you're like, narcissistic, we're narcissistic. We're, listen, we all tend to go that way. We all tend to become narcissistic. And uh, here's what I would just say to you is if you're a believer, you were saved to serve. You were not saved to just sit around. You were saved to serve. You were not saved to just sit around. 
And the Christians that just sit around are like that old sponge on the back of your sink. You know what, God, people pour into you, they pour into you, they pour into you, they pour into you. But if you just sit there and soak it all up and you are never wrung out for the glory of God and the good of others, you just stink. That's what happens. I mean, you take, a, you take an old nasty sponge that just sits up there for like a week and it's never wrung out. You're like, what is that? What is that odor? That's what happens in churches. People are like, you know what? I just, I just, I, I don't get fed and nobody, nobody's serving. Man, people serve you all the time. Everybody in this room, everybody at every campus has already been served five times by the time you even get to the sermon. From the music folks to the parking lot folks to the coffee folks to the kids folks to all that stuff, we have already all been served. One of the most famous verses, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, you are created in Christ Jesus for good works. You know what your good works are? The good works are how do I, how do I serve some other people? Here's what's gonna happen a dozen times a day, either at your home, in your marriage, at your church, with your kids, on your ball club, whatever it is. Dozens of times a day, there will be opportunities. They're sometimes disguised as interruptions, but there will be opportunities. Am I going to look at my own reflection and admire how awesome I am, or am I gonna look away and think about somebody else and how do I, how do I serve them? Again, that might be your spouse, that might be your coworker, church, roommate, all that kind of stuff. I've been doing this deal a long time. Longer than I, I was like, man, I've been doing this deal a long time. Like 30 plus years I've been preaching. And as I thought about this, what I've noticed is in three decades of this, that the Christians that are weak, the Christian, I'll just I'll put it in the positive. The Christians that are strong, it's not that they're doing like six or seven other specific deals, but they are definitely wringing themselves out on a consistent basis for the glory of God and the good of other people. I mean, think about it this way. Those of you that are like gym rats, when you go to the gym, how do athletes get strong? One of the ways they get strong is by doing what are called squats. Squats are basically you take a weight and then you go down and then you come back up. You go down and you come back up and you keep doing that. And what happens is your legs get amazingly strong. And loved ones, the reason a lot of you are not all that strong it's not because you like Bible study. You're in the Bible all the time. It's because rarely do you actually bend low to actually serve somebody else. You rarely will bend low to actually help somebody and adjust your schedule and say, you know what? I can serve in the kids' ministry. I can sponsor a kid for student camp. The list just goes on. And so part of the whole thing is just, I got to figure out, I got to figure out, am I going to think about some other people? Verse three, you're like, well, I'm going to do that. Before you say that, look at verse three. Because Jesus says, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God. This is really important, especially in our day and time. And that is that pe people who make a difference, that help people, they base their identity, not on what they've done for people, they base their identity on God and what God has already done for them. That's where they base their identity. Look what Jesus said in verse three. There's two things. There's one part of that that's about his authority. You know what? And there's another part that's about their, his identity. The authority part says, you know what? The Father's given all things into my hand. The identity part says, you know what? I came from God. I'm going back to God. Jesus never had an identity crisis. He's like, you know what? I know that after the cross, I'm going into an empty tomb. And after the tomb, I'm going to come up out of that tomb. And one day, everybody's going to confess with their mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's not wondering, hey, how do I stand with God? He knows how he stands with God. And here's what loved ones, you gotta, we've probably done this for 10 years, but you think about it, 
it is the gospel and the gospel alone that gives us both humility and identity. It gives us humility. Why would the gospel give us humility? It is hard to strut into church when you know your sin was so bad it made Jesus get nailed to a tree, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to walk around like a, like a peacock thinking, man, they are lucky to have me when you understand my sin was so bad, it put the son of God, the sinless son of God on a tree. So the gospel both humbles us, but it also gives us an identity. Because if you know the gospel, as we said many, many times, the gospel is not you're bad, God's good, try harder, come back next Sunday. That's not the gospel. The gospel is look, look what Jesus did. Look what Jesus did. And when you came to faith in Christ, all that stuff, all the righteousness that Jesus had got put to your account. So you're now adopted, you're righteous, you're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're sanctified, you're all of those things. And so now what that does is that frees you up. There's no job beneath you. There's nobody that's like, well, you know what? I'm gonna let somebody else do that job because, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. There's, there's humility's there, but also the identity is there. Because some of you, I loved what, I love what they were saying on the video. It's like, if you don't think you're worthy, if you don't think you, it's, it's not a matter of getting your stuff together. Here's who God used. Just look in the Bible. I could do this for 50 people. Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Elijah was melancholy. Probably the best way you could say that. Naomi was a widow. Peter was uh, hot-tempered, hypocritical, a bunch of different things. Zacchaeus was the least popular. He got voted least popular in school. Timothy was scared. He was frightened. You just go, John the Baptist was eccentric, all those things. But when you remember, I am accepted by grace. I'm accepted by grace. I don't have to prove my worth. The number one, no job is beneath you. And you're thinking, you know what? I don't have any of that stuff these other people have. I mean, you, you'd be lucky to have me. Well, guess what? I got good news for you too. God can even use you, all right? God can even use you. If you got all your stuff together, God can even use you because the majority of us are just an island of misfit toys. That's what we are. And then by God's grace, he, if that offends you, that offends you, um, that's, that's just because you're prideful. You're, you're prideful. If, if I say the island of misfit toys and you're just a black-hearted sinner and you're like, never coming back. I don't know what to tell Bye. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. That's just, that's what the gospel says. You can't know the good news until you understand the bad news. And the bad news is nothing you can do that makes God go, man, I'm impressed with that guy. I got to draft him number one. Nothing on that. We're all like late round draft choices that God, by his grace, rescued and then puts us into service to rescue others. Like Tebow said, he's like, once you get rescued, he puts you on the rescue team. So this is the rescue team. All right. Um, let me give you another one, those you note takers. Look at verse four and five. And I just think about others, and I just base your identity on God, and here's, here's where the action begins, verse four and five. He rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Attitude number three is, people who help people, they pay attention to needs and they actually act. They pay attention to needs, and then they actually act. Now, it says this. It says he rose from supper. Now, if you're not new to Bible study, you've kind of heard different things about washing feet. But if, you're, if you are new to Bible study, washing feet now is not awesome. It's not awesome, but our feet are fairly well taken care of, correct? They're fairly well taken care of. 
back then with open-toed shoes and dusty streets and no inside plumbing. They're walking in all of that stuff all day. And in that culture, normally not the host and not the guest, but the hired person would be brought in to do nothing but wash the feet of those people and they would do it before dinner. And so the way the text reads is the dinner's already begun. This should have already been, this should have already happened, but nobody did it. The two people that went to prepare the meal, they didn't do it. The 12 disciples sitting around having dinner thinking, hey, we're part of Kingdom of God Enterprises. They didn't do it. So what happens? It just simply says, Jesus got up, saw what was overlooked, and there's like seven action verbs. The one that, what comes to mind is this is the job nobody wanted. Nobody wanted to do this job. And the sinless son of God gets up and does it. I mean, nobody, think about this. If you're a, uh, if you think back to when you had really like babies, I remember back when like Tyler or Connor, when they're babies, I mean, especially I got better with Connor, but with Tyler, man, he would cry in the middle of the night. Some of y'all know what this is. And if not, you can confess later, but you, you perfected that idea where you pretended you were asleep, but you really weren't asleep because you're like, if I just pretend I'm asleep long enough, maybe Lori will get up and actually take care of the baby, change the diaper. Come on, somebody, anybody? All right, all right. Okay. That's what's happening here. Nobody's doing it. Nobody's doing it. So what happens? Jesus gets up and Jesus steps up and he acts. There's seven action words. He rose, he laid aside, he takes, he ties, he pours, he washes, he wipes their feet. By the way, this is a great picture of the meta-narrative of the Bible as well, is where Jesus, seated at the right hand of God, gets up, takes off his robe of glory, comes down here, clothes himself with humanity, dies a sinner's death on a cross, and then goes back to be with his father. And so what he does here is he's like, I'm going to picture for you what I'm going to do for you over the next few days as well. Now, I don't mean this as harsh as it sounds. I really don't. Because, I mean, there's... When it comes to meeting needs, so many of you are just amazing in that. I don't think a Sunday ever goes by, because I'm usually the last one or one of the last ones out of the parking lot, and when I leave, it's almost always somebody's getting a flat tire. We must have, we must have terrible cars or something, because every time I leave, somebody's got a flat tire, somebody's got a car that won't start, and one of y'all are out there helping. So great job on that. But I say this lovingly. Intentions are worthless in the kingdom of God intentions, like, oh, I intend, I intended to help that person change their tire. Man, I intended to do that. I intended to get up before Lori did and help change that diaper. Man, I had the best of intentions. Some of those disciples, when Jesus is like cleaning their feet, probably it's like, oh, I intended to do that. I thought about doing that. I made a resolution that I would do that. And I just want to say intentions. I, did, I thank God Jesus didn't just intend to die on a cross. He actually went and died on a cross. And when you think about it this way, when I say that, intentions really, that goes through all of life. I mean, how many of us, uh, I'll put it this way, there's not a single person at church today, maybe you hadn't been here in a while and you walked in and you like lost some weight and you got ripped and you're looking like Tebow and all this kind of stuff and people are like, and you're like, man, look at you, you're ripped. He's, you're like, yeah, yeah, I got a gym membership. You're like, really, when do you go? Well, I don't really go. I just got the gym membership, okay? I just got it because I, I kind of like the little key ring. That's all I, but I don't really go. That happens never. Doesn't matter if you have a gym membership. It's like that exercise equipment you bought last Christmas that you hang dirty clothes on now. It's like, that's not helping you at all. 
That's just intentions. And I, I, I say this super, 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 super lovingly. In what, ways, in what ways are you serving Christ right now, specifically? Not used to serve, not want to serve, not intending to serve, but actually, you know what? Here's the way I'm serving. Others serve me, online, camera, nursery. I'm going to serve people. Let me meddle just a little bit because the text goes this direction. Some of you actually, somebody disappointed you in your ministry and you're like, I'm out. And this happened like before COVID. You're just like, you know what, bunch of hypocrites. That person didn't ever write me a thank you note. That person never showed gratitude. That person actually got mad when you know, gave me the number one sign going out of the parking lot, whatever that is. And you're like, I don't, want to, I don't need to deal with these people. Great news is, because people can occasionally frustrate you. If, you're in, if you minister to people, you're gonna get frustrated at times, I promise you. You'll get disappointed at times. Somebody won't develop like you thought they should. So here's, here's, here's what happens with Jesus. It says, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Which, I mean, Simon's a piece of work, correct? I, I get great hope from Simon. Because like nobody, nothing in this story says, Simon, it's time for you to talk, correct? I mean, there's nothing in this story. Jesus just washes their feet. There's nothing in this story that should say to Peter, Peter, it's now time to hear from you. Nothing. He's like, uh, hey, uh, you wash my feet? And basically the next verse, Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. So Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Bad plan right there. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. In other words, if I don't wash you, then you're going to go to hell is what he's saying. Simon Peter said to him, <laughs> said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands on my head. In other words, oh, I mean, he just flips. Give me a bath, all right? Just give me a bath at this point. But verse, verse 10, he says, Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are, not all of you are clean. Here's something to keep in, this is sort of a sidebar, but again, people will frustrate you as you minister. Okay, you're part of a, you're part of a family, you're part of a church family, all right? Or you're part of your biological family. You, you, God puts you there around a bunch of imperfect people not to wait for their perfection. All right? Pete, everybody checks the sanctification box in different order. You understand that? Everybody checks the sanctification. People are in a different place. And Peter himself, a piece of work now, if you fast forward some years to like First Peter, Peter has grown immensely. Peter will say things like, love one another. He will say things to husbands like, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way. Peter will say things like in chapter five, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he will exalt you at the proper time. That's a long way from, hey, don't wash my feet. I don't want my feet washed by you. And so uh, again, people will occasionally frustrate you. And um, just, uh, we talked about it before, just think EGR, okay, EGR. It just means extra grace required, just extra grace required. And you got to always go back to the gospel because guess what? Uh, you needed a lot of grace and still do, correct? All right, still do. 
So the idea is, all right, what do I do? I, I gotta think about some other people. I gotta see a need, but then actually act on the need. But here's where, here's where it comes down to it. It's like, why, why should I serve then? Why should I serve my family? Why should I serve my church? Why should I serve my community? Why should I serve at my school? Well, you, you and I serve because Jesus served us. That's why we serve. We don't serve for thank you notes. Those are awesome to have, and we wanna be a super gracious church. Okay. We don't serve, we, we serve, why? Because Jesus served us first. So look how the story ends. Verse 12 says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said, so it's like, all right, boys, I showed you, now I'm gonna teach you. Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. And here's the, here's the reason he's saying that. It's because in that day and time, very much like this day and time, Greatness was typically defined by how many people serve you. I got people bringing me coffee. I got people parking my car. I got, that's usually the definition of greatness. And so they're like, man, he just washed our feet. He just did the job nobody wanted. And he's like, hey, I want to remind you, you call me teacher, which means like rabbi and Lord. Listen, don't miss it. You're right. It's exactly who I am. But if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you what? An example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Now, what if you've never read this story before? It says, if I then wash your feet, the next words you think ought to be, so now you wash my feet. That's not what he says. He's like, I washed your feet, you wash my feet. That's not what he says. He says, I washed your feet as an example that you would go and do it to other folks. Now listen, again, I know some churches, they'll like actually wash feet. That's fine. That's not really, the, I don't even know an equivalent. That's not really an equivalent, again, because our feet are generally speaking fairly, I mean, fairly decent compared to 2,000 years ago. And he says, but what I just did to you, that kind of service, I want you to do some other folks. And think about it this way. He doesn't need anything. This is what, he doesn't need, he doesn't need gas money. He doesn't need somebody to come along and grieve with him. He doesn't need his house fixed. And yet an all-sufficient holy God steps out of heaven, serves us and says, you know what? I'm gonna serve you tonight. I'm gonna serve you tomorrow on the cross. And then I want you to serve other people. So how does that work? Let's get down to how does this function? How can this function today? Let me name three places. Number one. First place we can put this into practice is our homes, in your home. If you're married, your service begins with your spouse. It's when you go up to her and say, honey, how can I serve you today? Now she might go, you're only saying that because you heard the sermon. It's okay, it's all right, it's all right. You get credit for at least applying the sermon, all right? So just how can I serve you today? Ladies, if you're, if you're the, got the privilege of being married as well, and you go, hey, baby, how can I serve you? Let me give you a little insight into guys real quick. There's a great chance he's just going to go, eh, nothing, nothing, nothing. But just the fact that you asked is like, it's like amazing. It's amazing. You're like, oh, I'm not married. Okay, try it with your roommate. Your roommate, hey, how can I serve you? Teenagers, try it with your parents. Go up to your parents this afternoon. How can I serve you? How can I serve you? They will freak. They will freak. I promise you they're like, what, what? Just ask them, how, hey, how can I help? If you don't use the word sir, how can I help today? How can I help today? 
So just try that one, just in your home. And a lot of times, and this is, we've said it a bunch of times, it's not a bunch of marriage problems we have because that's what we tend to think. We're just like, man, our marriage is in the toilet because of money or our marriage is in the toilet because of communication. No, the problems we have at their core are typically gospel problems. They're gospel problems. I won't forgive. I won't show grace. I won't serve. I'm not putting your needs ahead of my needs. If you and I just do that, 95% of this stuff flips on its head. So start in the home. Second one, start it, and you can call this your work. You can call this uh, your school. You can call this your community. So let's start with work for a second, with work. Do you know, you understand your work is not, your work is not part of the curse. You understand that? That's some bad theology. People are like, oh, you know what? Because of the curse, God actually had given Adam and Eve a job before they, before the fall. They're like subdue and multiply. And that's what you do. Subdue the earth and multiply. Not super complicated, but awesome. Just subdue and multiply. That's all you got to do. So he already gave him a job to do. So your work is not part of the curse. Now, some of the difficulty of it most certainly is. But please get this wrapped around your head. You might be a plumber. You might be making widgets. You might be an accountant, whatever it is. God has sovereignly placed you in that job for a reason. Yeah, part of it's to make money. Part of it's to save up. Part of it's to make sure you can make things work around your house. But a lot of it is he put you there for the people that you're going to be around. You're his representative in that place. And when God wants to change a place, what he does, he takes a man or a woman and puts them in that place, lets them walk with God, let them glorify God, and then the place changes. People are like, oh, I wish I could change, wish I could change Reynolds, I wish I could change, wish I could change Borg Warner, I wish I could change HCA. Listen, let God change you and then just let the ripple effect go out. And the way that happens is, let's just say you're, let's say you got a, let's say you have a boss. Let's say you're not the boss. You know one of the ways you do that? I mean, sure, you can sit there in the cafeteria and turn or burn. You think it's hot now? Wait till hell. You can do all that. And that's, that's okay. That's fine. Here's another thought that you can also at least start the conversation is just do your job, all right? If you have a boss and you're lazy, that's not a good reflection on the gospel. So just be a good, be a good employee. And you're like, well, I got employees. I am the boss. Well, good for you. How do you treat them? How do you treat them? The biggest question of our service is how do you act when you are the boss? How do you act when you are the boss? How about, uh, how about your church? Your church. I used to kind of be apologetic about this. This is my own confession. Insecure because some guest will be here and, oh, he's just always talking about money or serving. And we're not talking about either one. Or we're not talking about money. We're talking about serving. But I used to think, ah. Oh. But you know what? About 10 or 15 years ago, I got really free from that. I got free. You know why? Because when you read the Bible, the church is God's plan A for getting the gospel out. All right? It's God's plan A. Over and over and over again, 95% is the local church. 95% of the time, God uses the word church in the Bible. It's about a local church of a bunch of imperfect, misfit toys just like we are. And what we are, we're like the bridesmaids. We're the bridesmaids. We are. What do bridesmaids do at a wedding? All right? We had a wedding in our family about a month and a half ago. About a month and a half ago, my father-in-law got married. We're out there at Taylor Ranch. These bridesmaids are all scurrying to make sure Miss Glenda's looking great and has everything she needs, even little Elsie Grace, man. She had to go down that hill. She's like walking with a little flower. Not kind of, you know, she kind of got a little rambunctious at the end. But the bridesmaids, the whole job of the bridesmaids are basically, what does Glenda need? Her dress okay? 
Make up okay? She got all she needs. Loved ones, listen to me. You and I, if we're in Christ, listen, and you're not gonna find a perfect church, but find a church and then be a part. Don't do six things. Pick one or two, just kingdom responsibilities. You're just part of the family. And so here's, we try to make it as super easy on you as we, as we can. So here's what I want you to do, because our response that we always talk about the last three months, that uh, at one point you're gonna be able to say it without any prompting at all. We talk about come sing, bring, come sing, bring, come sing, bring. Meaning we can come up here, we can pray. Sometimes people come up here and they pray with a pastor and receive Christ. Sing, that's a big part of it as well sometime. And then bring the offering, you guys are doing awesome on that part. We're just gonna add a fourth for today, okay? We can, we can change, okay? So come is great, sing is great, bring is great, and then a fourth one is scan. Okay, scan. So here's what you can actually do. And I did it this morning, all right? Carl told me I was the first person to do that. It was about six this morning, but I did do it. And so what you do is you can either take your QR reader or you can take your camera, and all you do is you take this little, uh, you take this little deal right here. Let me tell you what'll happen if you do that. And you're like, I'm gonna do it this afternoon. You know what's gonna happen then? Is your intention is gonna fade away, all right? It's not intention, it is direction. So here's what I want you to do. And you, again, you can do it now, you can do it online. And I'm gonna tell you what it's not gonna do. If you scan this deal, it's not gonna ask for your credit card, okay? If you scan this deal, it's not gonna ask for your social. If you scan this deal, you're not even committing to serve. All you're doing is, what'll happen is when you scan it, it'll talk about your name, what campus you're at, I think it asked for your birthday. That was kind of hard. I had to click down quite a bit. There's like a Russian roulette reel. It's just like all the way down, all the way down. And then what happened is, uh, there we go. Look at there. Ranger, Ranger, Ranger signed up. What's your excuse? All right, Ranger signs up. So the next thing, is there another slide on that? Okay, there's not. So assuming that there'd be another slide, here's what it will do. You're gonna just click a date to say, you know what, I wanna learn about team orientation. And what you'll do is you'll pick something you're interested in. It might be missions. That's a huge deal. You know what that means? That means you might do everything. There we are. You do, fi <laughs> you do finance. No, don't click that. All right, click up. Click, okay, worship, worship. Y'all are like, man, I was like, the, I was like the American Idol in a different country. Well, we're glad you're here. And so we love for you. We would love for you to be at least try out for the praise team. Uh, let's say you put... Um, I tell you what, missions is awesome because missions covers everything from the foster care deal, not the after foster care, but can you support the foster care emphasis we're trying to reignite again? What that means is maybe you're an accountant, you're gonna say, well, I'm gonna do the accounting for the foster parents so they can got more to give to the foster kids. Maybe it's compassion, maybe it's build more love schools here in a few weeks, all those different things. You can check uh, media, you can check, uh, you can check uh, unsure. You're like, what does that mean? I don't know, you're gonna get put somewhere. If you, if you check that, you'll get put somewhere. But the idea is this, you're gonna check it and then you'll get an orientation and get more information. Here's, what, here's, what's, here's what's really not allowed. I mean, it is allowed. I say this in starting point, I don't usually say it in church. But if you're like, you know what, I'm a Christian and I like the music and I like the preaching, but I just kinda like to sit here and um, kinda get my own stuff um, if that's like the set attitude, number one, examine your faith because there's an unserving Christian is like an oxymoron. 
Some of you have been thinking, you know what? I've been attending. I'm supposed to be starting a, I'm supposed to be starting a small group, or I told, you know, I told Pastor Zach I'd help with the students, or what? It's not a great time. Again, it wasn't a great time for Jesus. That's the whole point of the story. I'm unqualified, and there's nobody qualified. And I say this with love, but this is not the right church for you if you just, again, want to sit on your blessed assurance and have everybody feed you. We want to feed you so that you can then disciple other people, all right? So uh, what we're going to do is there's one, there's a one sentence. If you go here very often, it's been a while. It's like, I'm going to write a prayer up. I'm going to write a prayer up. And I thought, let's just make this super simple. Here's the prayer for today at the end. Dear God, I am available in Jesus' name, amen. That's it. Normally it's like, dear heavenly father, I bequeath, you know, all that kind of stuff. This is like, hey, dear God, I'm available. I am available in Jesus' name, amen. That's what it is. And so I am available is just applying what this passage says. So here's what we're gonna do. We use our phones better if we're standing. We sing better if we're standing. We come forward better if we're standing. So just wherever you are, Hendersonville, whatever campus, go ahead and stand to your feet. And I'll tell you what I am going to do is uh, they're going to sing a song. And here's what I'd like you to do. As soon as you're done, it takes like 35 seconds to do that deal. And then just sing the song and then we'll be done. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And then we're going to go right into that song. Our prayer is just say, I am available. And so, Father, that's what our prayer is, that you would equip an army of people that serve, that serve our homes, that serve our communities, that serve our schools and serve each other in our local church body. God, we love you. We want to pray that just right now, we would put our yes on the table, say, I am available. Heads would be down, looking at their phone, filling out that QR code, and then their heads would be up, singing the song that I am available. In Jesus' name, amen.